0: Was the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads." And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. So begins the classic poem we all know as The Night Before Christmas, originally titled A Visit from St. Nicholas. It was written by a man named Clement Clark Moore in 1823. What you may not know is that Clement Clark Moore was a sincere and passionate follower of Jesus, the very one whose birth is the heart and ultimate meaning of Christmas. Clement wrote the poem for his kids after going for a sleigh ride in a town to buy things in early December. He had been thinking about the original St. Nicholas. The original St. Nicholas was a third century Christian bishop in the city of Myra in what we today call the country of Turkey. And the original St. Nicholas was left a small fortune by his parents. And throughout his life, whenever he saw people in need, he would secretly slip in and leave them a gift, eventually spending every penny of his inheritance by the time he died. As Clement Clark Moore was thinking about the original St. Nicholas, the sleigh he was riding in passed a local Dutch handyman who was dressed in red and white, which further inspired his imagination. He added some magical ideas into his poem, a sleigh that flies and St. Nicholas that's a jolly old elf and has a sack that somehow contains enough presents for all the kids in the world. A week later, he was out visiting his sister in a small New England town. And as he was visiting his sister and his nieces and nephews, all young children were around, all the elements of the poem finally came together for him. Now, Clement Clark Moore didn't think that this poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas," would have any appeal outside of his immediate family. And so for years, he happily went on with his work as professor of Greek and Hebrew at the General Theological Seminary of New York, a school dedicated to training pastors to work in churches. He even donated a big tract of land from his family's estate downtown Manhattan. It was worth a lot in his day, today it would be millions upon millions upon millions. Clement wrote and published some major works to help the school to train pastors better understand the original languages the Bible was written in. By 1837, this little poem A Visit from St. Nicholas that Clement Clark Moore didn't think would have any appeal outside of his immediate family had begun to be reprinted in newspapers and magazines all across the United States. He had unintentionally led to the modern development of Santa Claus, and it perfectly meshed with Christmas becoming a bigger and bigger shopping holiday. At this point in our Western culture in 2017, this poem has become so famous that it has been called arguably the best known poem ever written by an American. The entire story has looped around in 2017 because this year a book was published entitled Twas the Evening of Christmas. It was rewritten by a lady named Glenis Nellis, beautifully illustrated by Elena Selvanova. And this book tells the story of Jesus' birth, but it's set to the rhythms and the rhymes of the original, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas' poem." Because Clement Clark Moore himself was a committed follower of Jesus, I think this poem, coming back full circle in honor of Christ, the one he put his full hope and trust and dedicated his life to serving, I think it would make Clement Clark Moore smile. So let's jump into the story. Twas the evening of Christmas, when all through the town, every inn was so crowded, no room could be found. Tired Mary and Joseph, who went door to door, at last found a place on a small stable floor. Thank goodness, said Mary, who tiptoed inside. The mice saw the donkey and scurried to hide. The rest of the creatures all cuddled up tight in hopes they might have a calm, peaceful night. We see pregnant Mary in these illustrations. The birth of Jesus recorded in two of the four biblical books we call the Four Gospels. Those two containing the story of Jesus' birth, of the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And there are several ways that Matthew drives home the core idea of the Christmas message. That Jesus is not simply just a great teacher or even an angelic being, but that he is, in fact, God come to earth. God in human flesh. In Matthew one twenty it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because this is what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph was Jesus' father really in a secondary sense. Mary is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. God is the real father. The most direct statement of Jesus' identity comes in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Matthew is actually quoting an 800-year-old prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And for centuries, Jewish religious leaders and scholars had known of this prophecy. But they thought that it shouldn't be taken literally. They believed it was predicting the coming of a group of leaders whose work, figuratively speaking, God would be present with his people. Much to their surprise, however, the prophecy is literally fulfilled in one person, Jesus. Well, the poem continues The pigeons were snuggled, all were nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of breadcrumbs danced round in their heads. The cows closed their eyes, and the oxen laid down. The doves cooed so gently, the lambs made no sound. Now, animals figure prominently in most nativity scenes, and especially books like this written about Jesus' birth. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the group of Christ followers in Rome, he writes in verse 21, that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The moment sin entered our world, everything got messed up. Even the natural environment. Today we see the effects of pollution from the giant trash mountain outside of the Manila in the Philippines to the trash islands floating out in the Pacific. When Jesus came on his rescue mission to earth, it was to begin to restore and redeem people, yes, but also all of creation, back to a perfect, unspoiled state. We hear in this poem about pigeons all snug in their bed and oxen laying down and doves cooing gently. It's definitely written for children, but there is a deeper meaning and reality behind it. The poem continues. The moon through the trees was just starting to glow with a glimmer of light on the stable below when quite by surprise came a newborn's babe's cry that woke all the animals sleeping nearby. Up jumped the cows and the oxen and sheep. Up, pop the pigeons aroused from their sleep. They all came to gaze at the small baby joy, and his mama and papa hugged him with great joy. As pastor and author Tim Keller observes, the Bible's claims that human beings had the privilege of touching the infant Jesus, never ceases to amaze. How could the infinite, something with no beginning and no end? become that finite, a clearly defined birth and death? How could the extraordinary become that ordinary? Yet that is the very heart of the Christmas message, unimaginable greatness packed into a manger. As Charles Wesley wrote in one of his great Christmas hymns, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Now donkeys, now cows, now pigeons and sheep, now oxen and mice in the manger did peep. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples so sweet as they nuzzled his fingers and cute little feet. And out in the fields taking care of their sheep, some shepherds were just getting ready to sleep. When all of a sudden they had such a fright as a whole choir of angels lit up the night. The bonus of a retelling of Jesus' birth in a story like this is it makes it simple and easy to understand. The danger, of course, is that we lose the shock, the awe, the mystery of it all. These shepherds were so frightened by this angelic choir, they were scared right out of their tunics. C.S. Lewis observes that throughout his life, everyone who met Jesus didn't just regard him with mild approval, like so many people today, as a great moral teacher. Lewis says this, he did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. There is no trace of people expressing mild approval when they met Jesus. Now if you walk out of this service tonight, this morning saying, wasn't that cute? Christmas is just so comforting. If you walk out saying that, then I have failed in my calling. We should walk out of this service having our minds blown that the almighty powerful God of the universe took on human form as a baby in a manger. Just like Jackie Chan. The poem continues, but the song of the angels, the words that they said, soon let the men know they had nothing to dread. Dear shepherds, it's wonderful news that we bring. A Savior is born. He is Jesus, the King. They ran to the stable and peeked through the door and saw something never imagined before. There in a manger, a baby boy lay. No blankets, no pillow, his bed made of hay. Again, pastor and author Tim Keller is helpful in his book, Hidden Christmas. He observes that Eastern religions, maybe China, India, Japan, believed God was an impersonal force permeating all things. So for them, the idea that the divine could be in a human being wasn't a huge, huge stretch. For Greeks and Romans in Jesus' day when he was born, they had lots of small G gods, Apollos, Hermes, Athena, Zeus, in their Greek mythology. And those those gods weren't as we imagine the word God. They weren't all powerful. They didn't know everything. They were a little more powerful than human beings, but only incrementally. And they would often disguise themselves and walk amongst humans according to the Greek mythology. So in all of those cultures, the idea that God could become man wasn't as strange. But Jesus didn't come to any of those cultures. Jesus was born Jewish. And the Jewish people believed in a God who was personal but absolutely infinite. He wasn't part of creation. He wasn't part of the universe. He stood outside it, infinitely above it. The Jews were fiercely monotheistic, believing God is one. From childhood, a Jewish person was taught to recite the words of Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The beginning of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Everything in the way that the Jewish people thought and saw the world fought against the idea that a human being could somehow be God. The Jewish people even went so far as to never pronounce the name God had revealed for himself, Yahweh, or even spell it. Yet, Jesus Christ is born, and by his life, his claims, and his resurrection, he convinced his closest Jewish followers that he was not just a prophet telling them how to find God. He was, in fact, God himself come to find us. Matthew was a Jew. He would have known those, those verses, those scriptures, and that makes his statement even more startling. Paul, another Jew would write, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus in bodily form. Not just a third, not just a half, completely all the fullness of God. The Apostle Peter, another Jewish man, writes, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The opinion is that these authors wouldn't have meant much, however, if Jesus himself didn't fully show awareness that he was God in a body. But he did. All through the Gospels, Jesus is constantly forgiving sin, which only God can do. He also claims in various places, I'm going to come back and judge the world one day. Only God can do that. He claims to have mutual, equal knowledge with God the Father. It says in Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. That is the astounding miracle of Christmas. And the story continues. And to that small stable came three splendid kings with gifts for the baby, all beautiful things. They jumped from their camels and knelt at his feet with their frankincense gold and myrrh that smelled so sweet. In addition to the honor and status implied by the value of the gifts, scholars think these gifts were chosen for three important spiritual reasons. The gold represents the fact that Jesus is the King of Kings. Frankincense, an incense substance, was indicative that he was the great high priest. And myrrh was a substance that when a body died, they would Coat it with myrrh and wrap it in strips of cloth, indicating the death that Jesus would one day die. The stable was filled with a wonderful light as stars above Bethlehem twinkled so bright. And high in the heavens, God whispered, my son, you'll bring hope to the world and demonstrate the greatest sacrifice of love to everyone. The good news about Jesus, what we call the gospel, when you boil it down, comes down to this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's why the baby in the manger came to accomplish. And the story continues. Then back to their slumbers The animals curled, amazed at this babe who had entered their world. As Mary and Joseph got ready for bed, they snuggled their baby and kissed his sweet head. As professor and author Ross Hastings reminds us, Jesus' purpose was not merely to put away sin, but through his vicarious humanity to restore within humans the image of God and to give them life. Mary and Joseph, as the earthly parents of Jesus, were given the task and responsibility of raising him. And as they watched him grow, and especially as Jesus became an adult and launched his public ministry, and they watched him do teachings and miracles, modeling what the ultimate human being should look like, Jesus showed his parents and by extension all of us what it truly means to be made in the image of God and to pursue real, true life. And then our poem ends. As Mary laid Jesus asleep in the hay, she thought about all that had happened that day. The mice heard her whisper as she tucked him in tight, Merry Christmas, my son, and to all a good night. Well, we began with, "'Twas the night before Christmas, but we quickly moved into the wonder and mystery of the real heart of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. We learned that Clement Clark Moore himself was a committed follower of Christ. Tonight we have seen the poem come full circle back to honor the baby in the manger. Clement Clark Moore put his full trust and hope and dedicated his life to serving Jesus Christ, born 2,000 years ago in the most humble of circumstances. I think Mr. Moore would encourage you and I to make the same choice this morning. I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night.